As usual, I asked our guest Matt Harmon to pound the table for someone this offseason. Matt, who you pounded the table for? It's funny. I probably should come to a segment like this with someone that is under the radar, but I'm actually going to come to this segment with someone who I had basically a career year last year, right? It's Calvin Ridley, the Falcons wide receiver. And he actually kind of reminds me, I've compared him to this player for a long time because I think they're along the same archetype. And it's Stefan Diggs, the Buffalo Bills receiver. I had always said about Diggs, when you look at him as a separator, you know, his ability to win against man coverage and press coverage, everyone kind of knew that that Diggs was a, a really good number, you know, a, a really good starting receiver. And I, I think a lot of people, even if they weren't like me, like calling him a top five receiver, you know, three years ago or whatever, they would all agree that Stefan Diggs was a true, you know, really good at, at worst one B receiver or really good number two receiver. And I think that's kind of how people are, are viewing Calvin Ridley right now. But I actually think, again, with his ability, as a separator and the way that I think he's improved in his ability to win against physical coverage I actually think Ridley is ready to take that digs leap into being a true number one receiver and, and I'm not saying he's definitely going to have a top five fantasy season in 2021 but I'm really bullish on this Falcons offense with Arthur Smith in place with Julio Jones I think ready to kind of slide into that very good complimentary number two one uh, B receiver type of role as his career winds down you know if they stick at number four they could take Kyle Pitts um I just love the way that Arthur Smith Smith calls plays and I think Ridley again is ready as an individual player to take that step. So I'm pounding the table for Calvin Ridley as a guy who I think has top five potential in his range of outcomes in 2021. I love it. And I'll be honest with you, Matt. Uh, I had Calvin Ridley on a lot of teams last year solely because of you. So I need to nice. thank you for that. <laughs> um, so right, uh, straight from the reception, perceptions, perception, perceive Calvin Ridley onto your fantasy roster. Now let's get to the show. Welcome, everyone, to the most accurate podcast. I am your humble host, Brandon Niles. Co-hosting today is everyone's favorite home brewer, Chris Allen. Chris, my friend, how you doing? I'm doing great. I'm happy to sit down and talk receivers with Matt Harmon and you tonight. So, I mean, let, let's dive into it, man. We got a lot to get to. Absolutely. As you mentioned, we're pumped to be joined by Matt Harmon, creator of Reception Perception, writer and analyst for Yahoo Sports. You should follow him on Twitter at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. Matt, thank you so much for coming on. How are you today? I'm doing so well, uh, guys. I appreciate you having me on, Chris, the home brewer extraordinaire. I'm excited for for the weekend to hit. I can officially crack in uh, into some of the brews you sent me. So shout out to Chris. Shout out to Chris for that. We love it. Uh, I'm doing I'm doing well, honestly. Um, just spending some time trying to hammer down as many of these wide receiver prospects as I can. I feel like I don't know. Maybe you guys can tell me if you feel the same way. I think because we didn't have the combine this year. I've almost like felt even more snuck up on by the NFL draft where at least, you know, March is always kind of the time for free agency and obviously spent a lot of time with the wide receiver position because there were so many guys uh, this year that were available or at least, you know, potentially available with some of the franchise guys that like had to hammer down on the free agency class. Really, obviously uh, launching my site too. It, it was a lot of time spent in that free agency group. Um, I feel more snuck up on by the draft than ever, probably. But so just trying to get through guys like Eli Moore, uh, Rashad Bateman, all these players, uh, I'm pretty excited to be watching right now. 
I'm with you. Normally that combine kind of initiates me, and now I'm like, okay, let's look at summaries of pro days. And I'm like, wait, there's st- there was a pro day today. What's happening? So yeah. I'm absolutely with you. Uh, you talk about free agency. That's great. I wanted to ask you before we get into our main segment, which is all about reception perception, I wanted to kind of get your take on the biggest free agent wide receivers that switch teams. Uh, what was your reaction to some of the big news? Uh, let's start with Kenny Galladay. Join the Giants, that big deal. How do you feel like that fit is going to work out, Kenny Galladay and the Giants? Yeah, it's funny you bring up fit. Um, You know, I'm an idiot. I should have realized this years ago. But, you know, I've spent so much time with the wide receiver position. You know, inherently, I'm spending a lot of time with quarterbacks, right? I kind of came to to this realization, uh, I think it was when I was charting Cooper Cup a couple of years ago and realized, like, you know, Jared Goff just loves Cooper Cup. So it's clear, like, why he kind of goes haywire when this guy's out of the lineup. uh, Because Cooper Cup is always lined up against zone coverage. He's always... Uh, open in that short area of the field. And I think Jared Goff, it kind of tells you something about him. He loves that comfort level there. He's not a guy that really wants to be aggressive down the field, which is why I think Sean McVay kind of got sick of him and sent him out of town for a variety of different reasons. But sort of in that same mold, you know, you, you spend so much time with the wide receivers, you start to understand the quarterback strength, and then you understand if the quarterback strength, what wide receiver really fits with them. That's kind of my problem studying the Giants right now. I, I don't know about you guys, but we're going into a couple of years here and like, I still don't really know what Daniel Jones strengths as a passer are right. <laughs> like that sounds, that sounds meaner than I mean it to be because we clearly know he's like tough. Um, he'll st- almost to a fault will sometimes stand in there and take a hit. Uh, you know, obviously he's a really good runner, but I think as a passer, I'm still kind of trying to figure him out, but I think Galladay fits into the receiver core perfectly. Um, they badly needed a number one receiver. I think Galladay is kind of on that fringe in terms of being in the true alpha wide receiver discussion. Had he strung together two seasons like he did in 2019, uh, and if he didn't get hurt in 2020, I, I think we would we would be calling him a true number one receiver, no doubt. But um, just again, kind of wanted to see another season like that. It just didn't really happen because of injuries and chaos in Detroit. But I, I think he's a good number one receiver for them. If it fits in in that X spot, I think it lets them slide Darius Slayton into that number two role where you know I've I've actually always compared him to Marvin Jones uh who was Kenny Galladay's former running mate in Detroit so really seamless transition there like a guy who can get deep who can uh win in contested spaces is Darius Jones uh, or Darius Slayton just fits in that Marvin Jones mold and Sterling Shepard's a slot receiver that I've always really really liked so they have a really nice pass catching core too with what they've got going on at tight end and obviously Saquon Barkley coming back. It's just really going to come back to Daniel Jones and maybe showing us more of what those strengths could be. Cause again, still not totally sure on what, what those strengths are. <laughs> Yeah, it seems like it changes week to week. One week it looks like he's airing it out to Darius Slayton and looks like that might be something he does. And the other week he's just dinking dunking down the field. And then the other week he's just completely all over the place. I'm with you. Let's stick to the NFC East a little bit. Curtis Samuel goes to Washington. I feel like Samuel was kind of everybody's favorite free agent. Everybody wanted him to join every team. Uh, how do you mm-hmm. feel about where he ended up? Well, if you followed Reception Perception, you know that I've always been really high on Curtis Samuel, the player. Um, And I I love him actually going to Washington. People would maybe think that that's a bad fit considering he didn't have that breakout season that I and so many others were predicting in 2019 with this very same coaching staff back in Carolina, you know, with Scott Turner, the offensive coordinator, and Ron Rivera, the head coach. But 
I don't think that was Samuel's fault. And I think when you go back and look at it, sure, they they overused him as a vertical player because they didn't have – they were going into the season with the guy in Cam Newton who they were hoping, like all those reports in training camp, Cam Newton's deep arm is back. Uh, he's throwing live balls down the field looking real good. It was all that buzz out of training camp for, for that part of it. And obviously then a Curtis Samuel breakout because of it. You know, a couple weeks into the season, they're rolling with Kyle Allen, who is not a vertical passer at all, cannot hit those deep passes. So they should have adjusted that midseason for sure. But I still like them using Samuel as a true outside receiver. And I, I'm sure they'll do some of the jet sweep stuff, some of the running back things with Samuel, which – Makes him just such a safe player for their offense. But with Fitzpatrick back there, a guy who is willing to air it out, you know, all of those unrealized air yards that Curtis Samuel put up in 2019, I think those are going to actually turn into real uh, productive yards and the fantasy points that we want to come with it. So it's really hard, honestly, guys. I don't know where you are with the Washington offense, but I love Terry McLaurin too. I think he is a player that is ready to take that leap into the superstar club at wide receiver, even though I think we all agree he's a good player. With Fitz there, he should just get pummeled with passes. It's really hard for me personally to not get super bullish on this Washington offense because I also love uh, the pride of Lynchburg, Virginia. Logan Thomas there at tight end too, and Antonio Gibson in the backfield as well. There's just a lot to like with this offense, and then Fitzpatrick is basically like, the perfect fantasy uh, point guard at quarterback. It's it's really hard to not get excited about this team. <laughs> I love it. Chris, are you just as bullish on that Washington offense? Just a break real quick. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's funny because as Matt was talking about Kenny Galladay's situation with Daniel Jones under center, and we're just like, we have these huge question mark about, it's not a question about the offense or the, the fantasy assets surrounding it. It's about the quarterback. Well, we don't have that question in mm-hmm. Washington. I mean, we're excited about all the pass catchers. We're excited about the the tight end. We're excited about the running back. And we're also excited about Fitzpatrick. I mean, who else would could you really see being a guy that could possibly maximize the talent of each of those guys that we just listed off? I mean, McLaurin, Samuel, Gibson, Thomas, doesn't matter. I mean, at one at any point during the fantasy season, we could see Fitzpatrick I mean, getting uh, uh, connecting with all of those guys. So I am really excited to see what this offense could possibly do next season because of who now they have under center versus the guys that they've had in the past. You know, and, and I think people look at this offense too, the, the Washington offense, because Ron Rivera is a defensive head coach. And, you know, he has quotes from his days with the Panthers. Like, I, I want to win football games like seven to six. I'm totally happy with that. They think of this as a conservative offense, but – Man, when they handed the reins to Scott Turner there in Carolina, basically ever since then, they've been one of the highest teams in terms of run-to-pass ratio. And even last year, you know, and they've had some bad quarterback play during that time. Like, even <laughs> last year with Washington, they're 13th, I think, in run, in uh, pass-to-run ratio. They've, they've always thrown that football around. And, like, that was with the guy for most of the year, you know, and Dwayne Haskins, who couldn't even run the offense. And then, you know, Alex Smith, like, a, a, a check-down machine at this point in his career. I mean, he's always been a check-down machine, but now he's, like, you know, because of the injury, it's like the, the lowest ceiling version of that possible. So I think this is an offense to really get excited about for fantasy, uh, which is, again, very weird to say for the football team. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm with you completely. And uh, shifting to a quarterback that we are concerned about, uh, the other big name uh, wide receiver to switch teams in free agency, Corey Davis goes to the Jets. Uh, what do you think about Corey Davis with the Jets? Uh, does that just kill his fantasy value for you? Or does that kind of make you raise an eyebrow at the team? Well, 
I think let's see what they do with quarterback in terms of where his fantasy value is going to be. I would imagine that he's going to be a late pick. I think because of the landing spot with the Jets, people aren't going to be that excited. You know, he's also a guy that people will have questions about. But I'll tell you what. I, I always come back to this quote, I think, every offseason. Um, and I know Kyle Shanahan is in, in the news for a lot of different reasons right now because his team just traded up. And it's like, are they really mm-hmm. going to take Mac Jones third overall? By the way, I don't <laughs> buy that. I don't buy that. I'm still I'm still like – I'm still kind of calling BS on that one, but that's a, Justin another Fields. subject. I think so too. Yeah. yeah, I think Justin Fields. I think it's Fields or Lance, just based based on a lot of different things. But but who knows? Honestly, um, totally separate discussion. But you know, I think if you if you look at what this quote he gave, I always talk about this. I, I linked it in a piece uh, that I just wrote for Yahoo Sports as well. Actually, reacting to this signing, um, he talked about basically like if you have a Julio Jones, an elite number one wide receiver, you use that guy, you make use of him, or you go acquire, you pay whatever price it takes to get that pe- that player because they're that good and it's worth it. However, you don't need that alpha number one wide receiver, that elite guy that you funnel everything through. You know, and, and I think the 49ers moves over the years have have shown that. They've taken guys and placed them in specific roles, whether it's Brandon Ayuk or whether it's Debo Samuel and obviously George Kittle at tight end. They've kind of gotten a bunch of different guys to play a bunch of different roles, and they don't really have – you know, maybe Ayuk takes that leap into the future, but for the time being, they didn't, they've, they've functioned the last couple of years without a true number one wide receiver. They even had Emmanuel Stan, Sanders for a stint. Uh, I think the, the Jets, under that same sort of coaching tree with one of the LaFleur guys there, this is – Sort of kind of piecing together the same thing. They paid Corey Davis like the, around the 20th, 18-20th uh, highest paid average per year in terms of wide receiver contracts. I think that that's where he is. He, he's a number two receiver for sure. Um, and that they also added Keelan Cole. You know, they have Denzel Mims, who I think can develop into a good starting X receiver in the league. That For now, they still have Jamison Crowder. Like They're putting together a receiver core that if they do take Zach Wilson at second overall, they're going to drop him in there with a bunch of guys that fit really well in the system. I think Davis fits well in this offense as you know not a true number one but a guy that's going to lead a receiver core with that's probably a bunch of twos um and he can really function he does a lot of the dirty work well you know run blocking going over the middle of the field winning in tight spaces i think it's a good fit for Corey davis as you mentioned it's just it's the offense it's the quarterback those questions are going to kind of come up for fantasy Sure, and you mentioned Emmanuel Sanders. I wanted to bring up real quick, and then we'll shift into our main segment. But uh, you wrote an article this week, which we'll put in the show notes, and everybody should definitely go read it. Uh, you were pretty high on Emmanuel Sanders going to Buffalo, as well as Marvin Jones, who you also mentioned earlier, uh, landing in Jacksonville. What made you like these two vets and new digs? Yeah, so it's funny. The the Sanders one is, is different than the Jones one. For, for, for starters there on the Bills, I think – it's not so much that I'm high on Sanders' individual impact this year. Like, I don't think he's going to come in and be a huge, huge factor for them. But it shows the commitment to the team that they were last year, which was a very wide receiver-centric team. You know, they could have easily just let John Brown go and then just promoted Gabriel Davis and, like, try to beef up the tight end room in free agency, try to beef up the running back room in free agency. Like, look at that AFC championship game and that playoff run in general and be like, you know what, we really could not run the ball well at all. Let's try to add that to our offense. Instead, they just doubled down on what they were last year, which was a wide receiver-focused offense. I mean, Josh Allen threw two wide receivers at one of the highest rates among any starting NFL quarterback last year. I think, in a weird way, Sanders is actually good news for the value of a Stefan Diggs, for the value of a Cole Beasley there, and maybe even Gabriel Davis. Like, I think they could still elevate Gabriel Davis to be the number three, 
and then Sanders is a really good four. Or if Davis is not ready for that, Sanders is a three, and Davis is the big play guy as the fourth receiver. There's a lot of potential there, and I think, so basically it's good news for Josh Allen, for Stephon Diggs, for Cole Beasley, because it affirms the identity of what this team wants to be. Now, Marvin Jones is a different discussion because I actually just like this individual player landing spot for him. You know, I, I saw a few folks kind of raising their eyebrows at this signing. Like, I don't, I don't really get it, but it makes perfect sense to me because when you look at Marvin Jones, we were talking about him earlier when we were talking about, uh, you know, Darius Slayton. He's never, in reception perception, he's never been an elite separator, you know, right around that 49th percentile, 65th percentile against man and zone coverage. But that fits into very, like, what you expect out of a good number two receiver in the league. And I think what people really don't know about him is – this is one of the best 50-50 ball receivers in the league. He registered an 81% contested catch conversion rate last year. He's always been above the NFL average in that metric in reception perception. He's a guy that people, you know, like Matthew Stafford, are totally comfortable rifling the ball in tight windows to him. I think it's great news for Trevor Lawrence. And I think it just shows, like, this offense, when you look at it in Jacksonville, if Trevor Lawrence is what we all expect him to be, which is, the best quarterback prospect to hit the league in a long time. You suddenly look at this Jaguars offense and it's like, okay, they have a good number two receiver in Marvin Jones. LaVisca Chenault could take that step as a really good uh, gadget slot guy for them. You know, sort of a big play asset in that range. Um, think of like what the Panthers did with Curtis Samuel last year. And obviously there's some ties there with Urban Meyer as well. DJ Chark is, you know, again, he it, to me is sort of maybe a fringe number one in a best case scenario. So if he takes that next step, that's a real good one, two, three in the receiver room. We like James Robinson at the running back position. Other than tight end, there's no real holes, like a glaring screaming need on this offense all of a sudden at the skill position player uh, perspective. And I think that's why I like the Jones signing so much because it gives them a reliable vet presence on a team that really, really needed one. I wouldn't be surprised too, like, Marvin, this is the way it is with Marvin Jones every year. You can copy and paste this statement. The ADP gap between Marvin Jones and insert whoever the top receiver on the depth chart is, is way too large. Like they, they will, Marvin Jones will finish the year higher, closer to that guy that he's with. And I wouldn't be surprised if Trevor Lawrence comes to rely on Jones heavily in his first year. It wouldn't surprise me either. And I guess just a quick note back to your discussion about the Bills. I mean, I'm, I'm really happy to see Manny Sanders like find his way to a, yet another productive team. But now it's just the part that sucks is that it comes at the expense of John Brown, who's one of at least one of my favorite receivers in the league. Matt, I know for oh, the yeah. longest time, you've been leading that smoky hype train for a number of years <laughs> now. And so he gets he gets relegated out to uh, out to Las Vegas. But we'll see how his career winds up winds up being now with Derek car folks early bird pricing for 2021 four for four memberships are available don't hesitate to sign up early and capitalize on the ever-growing off-season content we bring you day in and day out check out classic pro and dfs embedding memberships up to 25 percent off right now see 444.com slash plans for details of course, since we've got you here, everybody knows now since, I mean, we've been talking about through the free agency recap, nothing but wide receivers. I mean, we've got the guy, the proprietor of ReceptionPerception.com. And so we wanted to talk with you a bit about 
the, your process, the methodology that has now been referenced all the way up to guys like, I mean, Daniel Jeremiah, I mean, I mean, is, is talking about like coming and talking to you about like the process that you use in order to evaluate wide receivers. I mean, Matt Waldman freely talks about it. I mean, it's just, it has now become one of these standards in order for us to understand the wide receiver position. So, I mean, when you go to I mean, evaluate a receiver, whether it's a rookie, whether it's a veteran, whomever. I mean, can you walk the folks through what that process looks like and what they can expect to see, like when they pull up uh, receptionperception.com? Yeah, well, uh, thank you guys so much for having me on timely uh, to be talking about the website right now. Um, you know, yeah, at this point, I'm deep into the process with evaluating college players right now. But also, of course, like in March, it was pro players and it'll get back to pro players here soon. Uh, basically, the process with reception perception is over an eight game sample for NFL players or now college receivers that were back on that game. Um, I go in and I chart every single route that they run over that eight game sample. I, I use eight games because back in the very early days of testing the methodology, that was where I found that data stabilized over the course of, to be representative of a course of a 16 game season. So if you get to that eight game threshold, the metrics don't really move any more than that. So that's essentially why um, it's just, it's a time, it's a time cutting thing, right? Like I could sit there and chart 16 games for all these players, but then, oh boy, we're really on a, we're really on a tight schedule there. So uh, essentially that's why I do the eight games um, and I'm charting how often they run each route type, how often they get open on each route type, how often they separate against man zone press coverage, where they line up pre-snap, which I think has become a huge indicator, sort of like everything trickles down basically on what type of wide receiver position they line up at, whether it's the X, the Z, the slot, whatever, are they getting snaps out of the backfield that there's always like a trickle, everything trickles down from there from a context perspective and we're also charting um ancillary metrics like how often they break tackles in the open field contested catch rate like i mentioned with marvin jones basically the goal is to try to quantify the qualitative reality of route running because we always hear that thrown around in there when we're studying players like oh this guy's a great route runner or you know this quarterback doesn't have anybody who can get open for him i i, I basically looked at it eight years ago now at this point it was like okay no one's really answering what that means you know i, I want to be the one to answer that question like try to quantify that qualitative statement uh so that's the goal of reception perception and try to as much as possible educate everyone on what is really happening when these wide receivers run off the field on sunday games right and so if somebody were to take a look at any of the reception perception data that you provided, this is not a way to say that this receiver is, let's say, bad at the game, or it's not It's not even really a ranking system. To me, I've always looked at it as a way of saying that, well, this is how this player should be utilized on the field. This is where they can win. This is how they can. Uh, this is how they can. Uh, best maximize their performance on the field. And so I think one of the things that for fantasy players that has become much more prominent over the last couple of seasons has been this way of trying to understand where they where they win on the field. So how a Devontae Adams wins on the field is not the same as the way, let's say, a Jamison Crowder wins on the field or Emmanuel Sanders wins on the field. And so would you agree that when you go through and you chart, I mean, that's kind of how you're helping people contextualize a receiver. What types of routes they run, how they uh, like what type of success they can they can create while they're on the field and then what we can expect to see for them like should they be placed in those I guess potential winning types of situations would you agree with that 
Yeah, I think from an evaluation standpoint, it, it does help to, like I said, take all of these metrics into context together. I mean, I, I definitely know which metrics that people like the most, like the success rate versus man press zone coverage, you know, the route charts, everything like that. And I mean, those are really, that's the, the selling point of the series, I think. Um, but one of the things that I've started saying over the last few years, you know, is the, the benefit of doing this now for this is the seventh NFL season that I've like fully charted data on. Uh, I started testing the process for the 2013 season, but much of that data is you know not included in the full database just for, for a lot of different reasons. But basically the last seven years I've been charting NFL data. And, you know, the one thing that I've really realized is that where these guys line up, you know, again, to bring back the point about X receivers, Z receivers, slot receivers, that really matters. Um, you know, for example, I would have made statements about a guy that didn't perform well in success rate versus man coverage, you know, five years ago that I would never say now, because that's just what happens when you have over 280 players in the database, like I do right now, <laughs> yeah. um, that, you know, that's, that's just the way it goes. The more, the more data, the more context, the better your forecasting becomes. Uh, and I, for example, you know, a guy like Juju Smith-Schuster doesn't perform well against man and press coverage. He never has at any point in his career. So that always led me to think, okay, he's not a bad player, right? You know, that would be crazy to say that he he's a bad NFL player. He's put up good numbers. He's been productive. But when you look at Juju, he's a guy that needs to line up in that slot position. That is where he's going to be best used. He does need other players to draw that attention away from him because you really just can't funnel a healthy offense through a slot receiver. So when he had AB there, things were great for him. He's really been the same player all his entire career through reception perception, but the environment around him has changed. So you look at a guy like that, it's like, does he separate well versus zone coverage? Of course, and that's great because that's the primary coverage that he's going to face. Like most of his routes are against zone because of where he lines up inside. So that stuff matters a lot when you're, when you're looking at roles and everything like that. But I will say... As we've gone over the last seven years, more and more has come out in terms of like the thresholds that players, you know, I'm not necessarily trying to come here and say like this guy is good or this guy is bad, especially it's it, you, there's always more context to pull apart when we're talking about is this guy quote bad, you know, they're NFL players at some point they're 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 pretty good at their job. But when you start to get to certain thresholds, when it's the success rate versus man coverage metric, you know, right now in the database, or at least when I pushed, pushed the methodology article live, which people can find on the site, receptionperception.com, there's a methodology tab, which tells you everything that's going on in the series, but also some of the proof behind it. You know, in the database, when I published that article, there have been 33 unique wide receivers to clear the 80th percentile, all but six of those uh, went on to have a thousand yard season. Um, that's an 82% hit rate, you know, like for the most part, if you get over that 80th percentile, you're some, you're going to have some level of success, uh, at the NFL level. And, uh, when you go down to the 70th percentile, you know, you're adding a few more names to, to the non 1000 club, you know, guys that have washed out of the league at different points, like Dante Moncrief, Rashard Matthews, Marquise Goodwin, yada, yada, yada. But like, a lot of these guys, too, that also haven't cleared that threshold in terms of the 1,000 yards. You know, we're talking about Curtis Samuel, Deontay Johnson, Sterling Shepard, Marquise Brown, Anthony Miller, Willie Sneed. Um, I would say that, like, you know, Anthony Miller or Willie Sneed, I don't have a lot of hope that they're going to turn into really strong starters. But, like, Deontay Johnson <laughs> injuries, Marquise Brown, you know, there's something going on there. Curtis Samuel had 1,000 total yards. That's like a sort of victory lap, right? You know, sure. so. At certain point, at a certain point in the threshold with success rate versus man coverage, if you can get open 
in the NFL, you're going to find some sort of success. And then it just takes a little more parsing from other parts of the series in terms of where do we put them when we're ranking wide receivers, if, if any of that makes some sense. Looking at the, kind of the narratives of wide receivers, I like that you brought up the slot receiver because you, you hear that all the time. Well, this guy plays better in the slot or this guy, uh, you know, operates more of the slot. This is a really good slot receiver. It's nice to know that you're talking about where you line up and also the coverage that receiver is likely to face rather than just simply, oh, he's in motion. Oh, he's in, uh, you know, in this spot. Lots of narratives about wide receivers you hear all the time. I was wondering, is there anything that you found is like really something to um, – it just ignore something that you hear too much that we don't need to worry about, like drops or something along those lines. Well, drops, drops is an easy one because, <laughs> because it's an unstable metric year to year. Um, and people have negativity bias when it comes to drops. It's like this guy runs, you know, hundreds and hundreds of routes his entire, uh, through over the season, he has, you know, 900 to a thousand snaps. He has eight drops. You're going to ding him for the eight drops. That's a very small sample of what they're doing. Like, this is why I, I do what I do. And I think this is the, the point I would make about any narrative. We all know that wide receivers, the production that they bring is so dependent on other variables uh, in order. Like, they, they, they're counting on so much to go right just to get one catch and uh, a handful of yards on a play. You know, the offensive line has to give the quarterback enough time. You know, we all talk about the quarterback play, right? Like a, a wide receiver's got to have quarterback play to uh, to get the ball and to produce, but that's just the beginning of it. You know, we talked about they got to be placed in the right role. Uh, the offensive line has to give that quarterback enough time. The quarterback has to make the right decision. The play call's got to go to their side of the field, yada, yada, yada. There's so many things that have to go into it just for a wide receiver to get a target. Um and I do think targets are a measure of player quality. Uh, like year over year, if you're getting the ball a lot, there's a reason you're like, we think of targets almost as like this arbitrary thing. Like, you know, Deontay Johnson just happened to get so many targets last year. Well, he got so many targets because his quarterback thinks he adds value to the team. Uh, you know, the team thinks he's a good player. That's why these plays are designed for him. You know, maybe he never gets that amount of volume again. I, I think in some ways the offense was a little unhealthy, a lot, a lot of ways unhealthy last year. But, um, you know, targets, like I said, just don't don't just happen. You know, sometimes you're sure. a guy like Kelvin Benjamin and you pop up randomly for one big target year and then you wash out of the league. But for the most part, Targets are a sticky measure of player quality. Good players generally get the ball funneled their way. Um, I would say that, like, in terms of narratives, the only thing the wide receiver can control is how often do they run good routes, how often do they get open, present a reasonable target for that quarterback, um, and then obviously do they catch the ball and do good things with it after the catch. Those are the things that are in the wide receiver's control. But there's so much more that goes into production than just that. So in a way, like the bad narrative is basically any narrative that comes just out of <laughs> yards or catches or touchdowns <laughs> right. or yards per target or yards per catch because those are all welcoming in a lot of variables that don't have to do with the individual wide receiver's play. And without a doubt. And one of the things that I would always I was always concerned with was we talk about the the production because as fantasy managers that's what we care about right we care about yep. the guys getting the points and like you know making our scores and like and helping us win but how much like what goes into that like and the targets are just one part but then you have to think about i mean what was that depth of target like how many yards did he get when he caught the ball what was the yards after the catch did he score a touchdown afterwards i mean there's so many things that go into just like what we see on the field where we're always concerned about the result, but what even got us to the point where the ball was thrown in that player's direction that I don't think a lot of us really took into context. 
And so I'm, that's why I think something like reception perception really started to provide some of that information about, well, what is it that the receiver is doing that allows them in order to get into that rhythm with the quarterback, that, that puts them within that quarterback circle of trust so that they know that once they get to that point in there and the quarterback's drop, they know when they let the ball go that that receiver is going to be open. Because it can't be just a coincidence that guys like Allen Robinson, Stefan Diggs, Devontae Adams are just com- I mean, completely blowing the competition away when it comes to total targets in the league. It just can't be a coincidence mm-hmm. year in and year out. So from like from a reception perception, I guess from a reception perception perspective, I mean, do you think that that uh, that the methodology really bridges that gap between film and analytics? Because that's I mean, you're seeing what's happening on the field and providing that quantification of and contextualizing what we're actually seeing and providing that that data so that we're seeing from from start to finish, like from when the from the ball is snapped to when the player catches the ball. We have an understanding of what had to be what had to happen in order for that receiver in order to become a a, a wide receiver one, wide receiver two, a slot receiver, perimeter receiver, split end flank. I mean, whatever category. I mean, is that what reception perception really provides us? I hope so, uh, because number one, the reason I wanted to like quantify something qualitative like watching film uh, for several different reasons. One, I know that uh, people like numbers and they like it's easier to understand you know a a 70 percent success rate versus coverage than this guy's really good at beating man coverage or whatever because we want as human beings we want some we want things to be specific it makes our lives easier think about it this way chris like if i told you like we were going into a, a room of 10 guys or whatever and I told you, uh, you know, there's a handful of guys in here that are going to want to punch you and me in the face. Like, that we're going to get in a fight with. I, that's, okay, a handful, right? But what right. if I told you, like, this 40% of these 20 guys, this 40% right here, those are the ones that we got to worry about uh, brawling with tonight. That makes our life much easier. That is much easier to understand, and we are much more prepared for this situation when we know this is the 40% right here as opposed to a handful of these guys. Because now you're looking at me like, hey, dude, there's 20 people in here. Like, well, how right. do I know? Yeah. Handful? What's a, what's a handful? Is a handful 10? Is a handful um, 15? Is it just three? What does that even mean? So – Again, trying to quantify that I think makes things easier to understand. And that's really the goal of sort of bridging the gap between film and analytics because uh, we're all just trying to understand the game better. But whether you ha- whether you are a film person or an analytics person, you, you should come to the game with some level of humility because it's freaking complicated. Football is really hard to understand because there's a lot that goes into one individual play. I mean... Any, you could almost, like, if you really wanted to get nihilistic about it, does any stat even matter when it comes to trying to evaluate one player? Because think about it from a running back's perspective. You know, we talk about yards per carry, like, and this guy is not efficient. He only averages 3.5 yards per carry. But he's counting on basically, all, like, no individual player metric is, a, is, a, is an individual player stat because he's counting on yeah. all these other guys. Yeah. And that, again, is just the baseline of things, right? Football is very complicated, so... There's even some ways that I've tried to like, sure, I could break down, um, you know, success rate versus cover one, cover two, co- you know, all this type of like you could really get into it. Um, but trying to make things easier to understand for people, even easier to, for me to understand, I think is important to sort of bridging that gap because you don't want to you want to make things um, informative and really 
accurate and intelligent and all that type of stuff but you also want to make sure you don't lose people you want to make sure you're increasing folks understanding of the game so that's definitely something um, that i've tried to do because i think there's a lot of analytics and numbers analysis that is you know really not good and i think there's a lot of film analysis out there that's really not good either um and it's not necessarily the fault of the content creator um i think that but the biggest thing is trying to marry those two things together in a way um that's easily easily digestible for the audience but also accurate and informative and especially on the film side of it I think it's crazy when people, you know, say, oh, just trust your eyes or just trust, just trust the tape or whatever. And like, just read my 500 word report and like, definitely trust this. <laughs> uh-huh. That's crazy. Yeah. We don't, we don't operate <laughs> when what other area of life are we just like, trust your eyes. Our eyes play, <laughs> li- like, there's literally the phrase, like your eyes will play tricks on you. So it is an increase. It's a, like almost an increase, a crazy, like hubris thing to say, to just be like, yeah, just trust your eyes. So I don't trust my eyes when I'm watching players. Let me tell you that. That's why I have three pages of charts and a rubric that I've been doing for seven years whenever I'm watching these <laughs> wide receivers. Right, exactly. And so, I mean, so digging into, I guess, the, the analytics portion, I mean, from, from, from my perspective, I mean, that's, that's, that's how I approach the game. I mean, I've always approached the game, like looking at it, not necessarily through spreadsheets, but trying to understand it from, from a numerical perspective. So I'll look at things like target share. I mean, like wide receiver ones typically have that 25 plus like percent target share. A dot, I mean, that's around the, you know, eight, nine, 10, like somewhere in there. But from, from your, from reception perception, you don't even look at that type of stuff. I mean, at least it's not a part of, it's not like the thing that's like, you know, that people see like right when they pull up reception perception. So from your perspective, from your perspective, I mean, what are those metrics that you're really looking for that if you're evaluating a receiver, what needs to stand out from an analytics perspective that uh, in order for that receiver to really pop off the page to you? Is it something like success rate versus man coverage? Is it, uh, I mean, the percentage of success on a particular route? I mean, so from an analytics perspective, like what are you looking for? Like when it comes to like any sort of any receiver and evaluating their in their game? Yeah, uh, like I talked about earlier, those thresholds in terms of uh, success rate versus man and press are, are, have become more and more important to me because um, it's sort of trying to take, again, it's trying to take as much of my bias out of it as possible. Like I said earlier, I've made statements about reception perception data you know, four or five years ago that I would absolutely never say. Like I would cringe at another person saying, let's like interpreting the data if I saw them say that today. And I would certainly never say it because that, that just – like those takes four or five years ago were wrong and they were bad. That doesn't mean the data is wrong or bad. That means me, the interpreter (laughs) hadn't had enough knowledge yet to what I was actually studying. So um, again, in a way that is just more and more humility, like the process I'm very bullish on the process. I'm very, um, I'm very like aggressively promoting the process. Me, the, 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 uh, the interpreter can still be a total idiot. And that's why I'm trying to take as much of my bias out of it. Um, as possible. So those thresholds are really important to me. Like I mentioned, I try to just cut, you know, this is a bit arbitrary, but I try to cut things off at like 90th percentile, 80th Mm -hmm. percentile, 70th percentile. And then basically if you're sub that 70, 70th percentile, you're kind of just like, that doesn't mean you're bad. Absolutely. That, that would be crazy to say that, you know, they're, that that this player is just bad, but they might like, I'm not going to be super, super bullish on like, for example, Dante Pettis is a really good player that, or a really good example of this. Like, when I charted out his um, 
college reception perception results. I was like, yeah, this guy, I don't think is going to be very good um, in the NFL. And uh, then he has some success his rookie year. Uh, his reception perception results were right around that like 65th percentile against um, man coverage. So I was like, okay, maybe I can buy in on the fact like he's going to be good. Let me start drafting him in uh, the damn sixth round of best ball drafts in the offseason. Oh, yeah, I did the same. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> who, who among us didn't fall on that one for a minute? But, like, now this is even, – even just, like, three years ago was the Dante Pettis uh, draft. Um, you know, now at this point, like, I look back on that as, as a mistake because that's really not – like, for a young player, they could turn out to be a very good player. Um, but uh, that's not really something where I'm going to, like, pound the table for – a 65th percentile performer. You know, if you are Calvin Ridley, who we talked about up top, who has literally been above the 90th percentile in every single season that he's been in the NFL in terms of success rate versus man and press coverage, I'm going to come on this podcast and pound that, pound that table for him because that's an excellent performer that, like I said, basically the only person who has cleared that 90th percentile metric uh, and not had a 1,000 yard receiving season uh, at any point in their career that that would be Curtis Samuel, who I mentioned, you know, thousand total yards. Come on, give me a break. Um, yeah, so it's it's basically like kind of just adjusting your bullishness scale on the player based on where they fall uh, in these thresholds. That has become super super important to me. But at the same time, it's also again, it's it's so much easier for me to be confident about who is going to be good. That has been, um, you know, that that's been a really good. Uh, like a, that's been a good use of the series, I think. I think trying to tell folk, you know, whether it's Allen Robinson or Tyler Lockett or John Brown or Stefan Diggs or uh, Calvin Ridley or Terry McLaurin and Curtis Samuel, all these guys, like trying to tell folks, like you should buy this player because you know the production isn't up to the isn't isn't matching the type of route running excellence they've shown in these metrics. That's been a good use of the series. It's when you get on the other side of things. Like I, I just try not to be overly negative as a person in general, but also being open-minded to player improvement. For the most part, these reception perception metrics are stable, but there have been a handful of guys, whether it's uh, a couple of, you know, Devonte Adams is one I always come back to because he has mm. literally gone from, and I, I also like to say like reception perception has been right about um, Devonte Adams, basically his entire career. Cause when everyone was way too excited about him at the beginning of his career, he was literally performing at like the first percentile, like the, the worst, <laughs> the worst, yeah, the worst <laughs> of the worst. And he obviously had that one terrible season in 2015, but then he's, he'd made this giant jump to where the last two years I've been really pushing him as a guy that I was confident he was going to finish wide receiver one overall in 2019. That didn't work out because of injuries. Mm -hmm. um, and I was right back on that train this year. And it did actually happen yeah. uh, because he, in reception perception, he was all the way up that 99th percentile. That is an un unprecedented player movement to literally, you know, go from the bottom to the top as we like to say, but you know, there are some other examples, guys like Cortland Sutton who have taken slight jumps, you know, from year one to year two, and, and hopefully he can get back to that improvement. And Kenny Galladay, who I mentioned before, you know, is a guy who, who wasn't a great separator coming in, but I think now is, is a very, you know, not one of the best elite separators, of course, but a guy who's very, very good. So always kind of keeping that in mind too, like the thresholds are important to, to when we can declare a guy very good. Um, but also just keeping an open mind to some jump from players like the aforementioned three that I mentioned. Talking about progression and things of that sort, I know Chris is going to ask you a little bit about the 2021 class of receivers because it's a really thick class. Uh, last year, also a really thick class. Weren't sure what to expect from them. Uh, 
the talent was there, but of course it was a unique offseason, unique season in general. Uh, we're running up on time. I don't want to keep you too long, but some of those uh, sophomore receivers, uh, who charted really well that you expect to continue and maybe who didn't really do great, but you could see some upside or maybe you're not buying because they didn't chart well. Yeah, so I've only charted a, a small handful of these guys from their rookie year. Uh, part of the, the release schedule for the website, um, receptionperception.com. Check it out. Uh, the paywall is coming soon. Excellent. <laughs> so get Excellent. as much of that free get as much of that free stuff as you can now. Um, in April, it will be you know the the current rookies, and then um, as part of kind of trying to add more value for subscribers. Um, as opposed to in, in, with previous partnerships, everything came out on one date. We're going to stagger the release of players. So I think for folks who play in Dynasty, uh, you're going to be really excited that you'll actually be able to get this 2020 class's results. You know, there's some of these young guys. Uh, that's going to come out in May, mid-May, like kind of soon after the draft. But a couple of the guys that I looked at already, obviously Justin Jefferson was I mean, he was everything that his metrics uh, measured up to be. Mm -hmm. I basically, um, you know, he was a, like, he's one of these guys that's above the 90th percentile in terms of success rate versus man and press coverage as a rookie. Wow. We haven't seen a rookie receiver <laughs> do that since uh, OBJ mm -hmm. did it in 2014. Wow. I, I basically have been saying he's had, he had Odell Beckham's rookie season just without all of the mega hype that comes from playing for a, a stupid NFC East team that's always in prime prime time. I didn't have that one catch, you know, so, but I, I think he is. Is on that superstar trajectory for sure. I think he's basically already there. CD Lamb is a really interesting one to me because the results were good. I wasn't I wasn't surprised about that. Um, good against man coverage. You know about eighty percent success rate versus press. That obviously, if you watched him in college, you knew he could get off the line of scrimmage. But what was really interesting to me about him, he was used so much in the slot he only faced press coverage on 7.1 percent of his sampled routes for context that's crazy low that's like cooper cup level low and we know that cooper cup played that very unique role for the la rams uh in 2018 2019 when that offense was kind of doing what it was doing you know we we just that that's very very extremely low for a receiver to see that that less that or that low amount of press coverage you know some of that is obviously defenses you face but that's another thing like how much press man or zone coverage you you face is very dictated by where you line up you know if you're that x receiver that's on the line every play you're going to see a lot of press coverage you know you'll be up there like 30 to 40 percent but for these slot guys you could really be low down there so i think like it's really interesting to talk about CeeDee Lamb because this this um, offense that Dallas has is, is got going there with Dak coming back, that whole thing, it, it should be fireworks. And I actually think like CeeDee Lamb in that role for the type of explosive, I think awesome prospect he is, I'm getting pretty excited about him uh, in his second year because I still think Gallup is a good X and Amari is a good Z. Um, but I, I, I think if he's still in that role, still used as a slot receiver, I actually – I, I just wonder how they're going to line these guys up because that could really dictate who I'm most excited about next year. I think if they keep CeeDee Lamb in this slot receiver role where he's like never facing press coverage, it's going to be hard for him not to put up dominant numbers next year. I'm 100% with you there. And I mean, just I wanted to pick your brain on just one more guy that's uh, that's entering his sophomore season. Uh, and that's and that's Jalen Rager from Philadelphia. Now, I know the hype train for him was pretty high. Uh, was, I mean, it was coming in quick. I mean, especially after he gets drafted by the Eagles and he wasn't I mean he was injured throughout part of the season. They wound up having I mean, Carson Wentz took a dive. They switched to Jalen Hurts with that whole thing. Uh, so 
I mean, I wanted to get your take on Rager, what you saw from him during the uh, during the draft process, what he looked like in 2020, and I guess what you think we can see from him in 2021. Yeah, he's one that's really tough to evaluate. Um, obviously, I haven't fully charted him for reception perception yet. Like I mentioned, those guys, him included, even players that didn't do so well, the rookie, you know, they're all going to be uh, included in that early release in May. Um Man, he's a tough evaluation because I did not like him as a route. I did not like him as a route runner in college. I didn't think um, he would develop into the, you know into a, into a very good separator unless he started to take those jumps, like we mentioned with some of these other players. Wasn't that high on him as a prospect, um, even though he's explosive. He brought the speed that Philadelphia clearly needed. But you know, I remember when the Eagles drafted him. This is not hindsight, and this is not a unique take either. I was like, why are they not just taking Justin Jefferson? Jefferson. Yeah, you know, and it, it's not—it's—it's <laughs> it's not even honestly that. Look, Jefferson ended up developing into a stud. It was just if you watched Justin Jefferson in college and didn't think he could be a great, at least a great route runner in the NFL, like something along the Keenan Allen axis. I'm like, what are you, you know, I thought you know, people comparing him to like Tyler Boyd or Cooper Cup was crazy to me in the draft last year because like those guys need to line up in the slot to separate. Keenan Allen doesn't need to line up in the slot to separate. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Justin Jefferson doesn't need to line up in the slot to separate. Um, he And he showed that his rookie year. He was mostly an outside guy with a little bit of slot as well. It just made so much sense for, for, for their perspective to take a guy that was going to be an instant, immediate impact. Like, I didn't think he was going to have the crazy, like, OBJ type of impact that I that he did end up having. But I knew he was going to be a good, productive pro from day one, Justin Jefferson. And, like, man, the Eagles just needed bodies. Like, they just needed someone in that receiver core um, to, to, to win uh, and win, like, right away. Be that type of pro-level route runner. But I think Howie Roseman kind of puts his brain in a pretzel sometimes when it comes to wide receiver scouting. Uh, obviously, the J.J. Ortega-Whiteside thing from, from yeah. the year before. Um, Rager, I think they were just like, we need speed. Let me, let me get the, a fast guy. But, you know, that was not, not obviously not the right move. So, I, I don't know. I'm just, I say all this to say, like, I'm, I'm interested to see what Jalen Rager charts out in reception perception because the explosive potential is clearly there, but there's a lot of other questions that are coming with him at this point. I, I agree, and uh, we don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I know that a lot of folks have been, uh, I mean, since your time, since you moved away from NFL Network, you moved over to Yahoo Sports, and... I mean, reception perception has continued on, but we've been missing those prospects, man. I mean, the your rookie evaluation and you di- diving into some of that college tape, I mean, has been one of the cornerstones for a lot of folks in the dynasty world and part of their process in evaluating rookies. But from the sound of it, it looks like that's coming back. So a lot of folks, I mean, be on the lookout for that once receptionperception.com goes live. So I just wanted to get your quick take. I mean, top two wide receivers of this class. Who, who you got as of, as of right now? I mean, as of uh, April 2nd, 2021, before we even get into any of the craziness, I mean, who, who, are, your top, who, who are your top prospects for this class? Yeah, so uh, can confirm prospects uh, in reception perception will be back and better than ever. Uh, there will be full profiles and sortable data tables for at least, I'm going to say 10 to 15 prospects because I do have some, not the same library of film I was working with back at the NFL Network days, but I've got a good amount right now. So I think we're going we're gonna to get double digit rookie profiles for sure this year. Awesome. Um, and I've already gotten through five of them right now. Um, and in terms of just the top, like the top guys are the ones I've, I've mostly hammered in on so far. Look, I think Jamar Chase is the easy one in this class, uh, because, you know, 
he's got some questions as a route runner, but he separated really well uh, in reception perception when it comes to man and press coverage. And I think, you know, there's a couple things that are so impressive about him. One, he's really good after the catch. Uh, he's great on 50-50 balls, really good in tight coverage. But again, I think he's such a good explosive separator downfield. I mean, you watch him on some of these vertical routes. His ability to just eat up ground and get open downfield is super impressive. He's a tough player to comp, honestly, um, for, for me. But you know, I do think he can slide into that um, – I think he could slide into a true alpha number one role. Uh, some folks have said Devontae Adams makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe even early career Larry Fitzgerald. Like I could see Chase being a guy that d- does play outside early in his career, and maybe like Larry Fitz as he gets that older man game to him, he moves into that big slot role. It's tough for me at two between some of the other players, but I think I'm going to end up landing on Devonta Smith. And basically it's, it's the same – logic that um i held with calvin ridley uh shout out to calvin Ridley getting a lot of mentions on this right podcast. Yeah. yeah but like calvin ridley was a guy he's the that's the last class 2018, 2018 that i chartered for reception perception before um not being able to do the last two classes i think people forget like ridley took a ton of crap that year in the draft prospect because he was small he was skinny he was old um he couldn't win contested catches uh and but basically what I kept coming back to with Ridley was he's just too good of a separator to fail, like mm-hmm. to, to, to like totally outright fail. I think it was fair to question whether what was DJ Moore the top receiver in that draft class. What about Cortland Sutton? Could you talk about those guys upside over a player like Calvin Ridley? I think that was totally fair. Just like I think it's totally fair if Devonta Smith is not your wide receiver one this year. He's not my wide receiver one. If he's like your three or four, I think if he's a mid first round pick, that's where I thought Ridley should have gone. Like, I, I really think those two guys are so comparable. There are obviously a lot of questions about Smith from a weight perspective, from an age perspective, from a breakout age perspective, blah, 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 blah. But maybe he doesn't end up having an elite ceiling as a player. Maybe he's never a wide receiver one in fantasy, but it is tough for me to imagine he's not going to be a productive pro from day one. And then if he continues on that path that Ridley got on, like, I think Ridley is at this point, like I said at the top of the podcast, ready to be that true number one receiver. Mm-hmm. Maybe Smith gets on that that path as well. I think it's totally fair to to have the critiques. I just think he's too good of a separator against press. And that's the thing. Like we talk about, like what what correlates to each other in reception perception. Guys, I have done a lot of research, you know, on combine metrics to success rate versus press, to weight, to height, to correlating to success rate versus press and reception perception there's really no correlation there. It is like, are you good? Do you have good technique? That's how you win against press coverage size, you know, measured athleticism, quickness. None of that matters. What matters is doing the work and doing, uh, that's why I love, that is why I love studying receivers, man, because there's just so much, uh, work that goes into it. You know, I've talked to guys like Stefan Diggs uh, a lot about this, the work that goes into the craft of separating the craft of route running, that's what matters at the position to me more than anything else. And I think Smith's got that. I think he is he is a great separator versus press when you uh, look at him in reception perception. Uh, and I think he can end up being that guy in the pros too. You know, size be damned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. And so uh, the one thing that I, I was hearing, uh, like with, especially at this point in the draft season, we're hearing rumors about players getting mocked to a whole bunch of different teams. But uh, I've, I've seen Jamar Chase being mocked to the Bengals. So he gets to play with Burrow. As a Cincinnati fan, I know that everybody wants wants us to take uh, Sewell 
I get it. I wouldn't mind Chase at this point, but I understand that. But what are your thoughts on somebody like, uh, I've seen Devonta Smith going to Miami to play with Tua. I don't hate it at this point, but uh, I guess what are, your, what are your thoughts on, I guess, some of the landing spots for some of those guys that you've seen running around here in the rumor mill? You know, it's um, it's interesting with, uh, with, with the wide receivers because, you know, one thing that's kind of hanging over all of this conversation is we have dropped. I mean, I know we've dropped Calvin Ridley's name 300 times in the podcast, but <laughs> despite not being on the, despite not being on the outline, but um, we've talked about a lot of really good receivers so far on the pod. And that is a um, kind of a theme that I think that hangs over the position. I wrote about this at the beginning of the off season for, for Yahoo sports. Uh, there's a the piece up there. If people want to find it, you know, the 2018 and 2019 class, like those groups were not considered great wide receiver classes. Like 2020 was considered that class. This is supposed to be considered that class. Uh, and 2020, I think, lived up to the hype last year. Those receivers lived up to the hype. But, like, the stars of today and tomorrow came out of that 2019 class in particular. And because of those two draft classes, we have just been flushed with talent uh, mm -hmm. from the wide receiver position. It's mm -hmm. a stocked position. We're getting to the point now where there's so much depth at receiver. I think teams are going to start to ask questions about value. And, you know, it's going to end up the same, not as bad as the running back position, but I think we're going to go a similar way, which is like, yeah, we can talk about value of players. And, you know, maybe guys like, Juju, when they hit the open market, like, yeah, you're a number two receiver. Nobody's going to pay you big, big money. Mm -hmm. Just like no one's going to pay, uh, um, you know, a, a Leonard Fournette a bunch of money when he hits. Again, more drastic at the running back position, but same sort of thought line. Like, Fournette, you are maybe like a replacement level back. No one's going to pay you big money. Juju, you're a wide receiver too. That might become like a replaceable position because, um, you know, when you look at these guys, like I talked about, that are the stars of today and tomorrow out of that 2019 class, we're talking about Terry McLaurin. We're talking about DK Metcalf, AJ Brown. Like none of those guys were first round picks. Right. You know, um, I think teams are going to start to think about it that way. Like, sure. When you get guys like Kenny Galladay or like, listen, the whole talk about Chris Godwin. And I know I'm not answering your question, but I'm, I'll get to the point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if anyone's running along on this pod, it's me. Um, you know, when, when uh, guys like, like, the whole narrative about Chris Godwin and Allen Robinson signing their franchise tag because they saw like the market that developed for guys like Juju and Will Fuller. I'm like, oh, give me a break. Like, yeah. if Chris Godwin hit the freaking market, he would get a big contract like that. You know, same with Allen Robinson. Same same way with like Aaron Jones. Devalue the running back position. Aaron Jones, Chris McCaffrey, those guys still end up getting big contract. The best players at the position will still get paid. But I do that wonder. That got paid. Exactly right. Like, I, I, if you're a great player, you're gonna end up getting paid. Um, and I think you know Aaron Jones, Kenny Galladay, like maybe those are similar kind of guys in terms of the ranking at their own individual position. They're not at the peak, but they're pretty good, right? Yeah. I, and I do think teams like Miami, like Cincinnati, in the top ten of the draft, even if they like Jamar Chase or they like Devontae Smith, they wonder if they'll look at it and be like, you know what? we can get another player at a different position here and, you know, try to find wide receiver value later. Cause this is another good class with guys in the second day, but at the same time, at some point you just have to get good players. Those guys are good players. I, I do wonder about that. I think that for the, the dolphins in particular, I'm really intrigued by the idea of them just taking Kyle Pitts um, because, you know, you know, I know Mike Gusecki a good player with TE next to his name, but like, 
Let me tell you what, if Mike Gusecki got franchise tag, which would be weird, but if like Mike Gusecki <laughs> got franchise tag, his agents would take like where he lines up and try to do the Jimmy Graham thing and be like, you should probably tag us as a wide receiver. Like, let's file that grievance because the way he always lines up in the <laughs> uh-huh. slot. So yeah. there's room for, for Kyle Pitts on that offense. I think that's the type of offense you want to build around Tua. But for these receivers in particular, I know you guys wrote this down on the outline. This is one that is interesting to me. Is like Jalen Waddle to the Eagles. Yes. You know, the, the Eagles still need that speed, but like – Jalen Waddle's got different speed. Um, I don't have him as he's he's a bit of a tough eval because I don't know how good he's going to be against press coverage. But like the Tyreek comparisons, I think are legit. The Tyreek Hill comparisons with Jalen Waddle um, because the speed is there, the physicality at the catch point is there. That's what makes there are two things that make Tyreek Hill um, great as a player. It's the physicality at the catch point, and he developed into a true like he showed right away from his rookie year. He had the skills. Uh, in reception perception to, to, to develop into a really quality route runner. And if Jalen Waddle gets on that train, he could end up being a number one receiver. But like at worst, he's going to be a field flipping deep threat that actually knows how to run routes at this point where Jalen Rager was not that player. Yeah, ridiculous after the catch too. Just looking at Waddle, like ridiculous after Absurd. the catch work. Mm-hmm. I could sit here and ask you about a million more questions, Matt, but I'm not going to do that to you. <laughs> I, when you open up the site that, that uh, creates – the um, exact percentage of how many people in a bar want to beat me up. I want to. I want access to that site. Uh, that's something <laughs> yeah. I. I need it. I. I you hopefully both, you'll have buddy. a mobile. Ho- yeah, hopefully you'll have a mobile site for it. Um, but um, listen, notifications don't... as soon as happy hour starts. <laughs> yes, it please. Starts in yeah, phone, please, yeah. please. <laughs> you just you just look up and just show somebody giving you side eye. But uh, so that's our next big. That's our next big idea. That's our our next big business. Now. I'm taking that. <laughs> Uh, listeners, make sure you follow Matt on Twitter at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. Check out, sign up, receptionperception.com as soon as premium content's available. Read all his fantastic content, Yahoo Sports. Matt, thank you so much for joining us. Any final thoughts before we go? And then remind everyone when they'll be able to sign up for that premium membership at receptionperception.com. Hey, I really appreciate you guys uh, having me on. This was an awesome conversation. Great way to jump into the weekend so we can all be uh, sipping on that whiskey here soon, uh, <laughs> living life, thinking about how great Jamar Chase is. Uh, thank you guys so much for having me. And, uh, yeah, if anyone, anyone wants to check out more about Reception Perception, uh, go to receptionperception.com. I can't tell you how good it, it feels to have that as a URL that goes to the site. Uh, and, and there's a methodology tab to learn more about it. And, and premium content is coming soon. There will be, you know, I, I could kind of break the news actually here on this podcast. Um, hopefully James Coe doesn't get too mad at me about it. But April 15th is the date where you'll be able to sign up to a specific subscription. There's going to be three tiers of subscription. So basically kind of judging it to what you, you know, what you need, what you want to get out of reception perception. There will be something for everybody that is my hope out of the out of the series and I'm, I'm excited for everyone to just dive in and and we're going to get uh, so much information about wide receivers this offseason excellent excellent everybody april 15th receptionperception.com chris thank you as always anything you want to add before we call it a day no i mean huge thanks to matt for stopping by always appreciate his insight and his time and uh, happy to sit down and talk with you again brandon Excellent. Uh, listeners, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Two Guys Brandon and at Chris Allen FFWX. Thank you so much and have a good day.